Celebration Rock Podcast presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis and UpRocks.com. I am your host, Stephen Hyden. My guest today is Jim James of My Morning Jacket, of Jim James Solo Records, of Monsters of Folk and the new Basement Tapes and the Todd Haynes movie, I'm Not There, (laughs) and lots of other things. He's a great musician, and it's always great to talk to him. This is, I think, the fourth time... I've interviewed him. I've talked to Jim throughout his career. I think the first time I interviewed him was for Evil Urges in like tw- in 2008, so 10 years ago. And I've interviewed him fairly regularly over the years. This is the first time, though, on the podcast. So you get to hear me talking to him rather than see me writing about him. <laughs> but he's always a great guy to talk to. He's a very earnest guy, very sincere You'll hear in this interview, he's upset, as we all are, about the state of the world right now. And a lot of that frustration was put into his new solo record. It's called Uniform Distortion. It comes out June 29th. And um, I like this record a lot. You know, I've I've generally been into Jim James's solo records, but this one is my favorite, I think, because it's the scuzziest, rawest, most live-sounding, and the most guitar-centric record that he's made as a solo artist, and really that he's made in a long time. You know, I feel like over the last 10 years, Jim James has been on this journey of, you know, going on different sonic excursions. <laughs> you know, like, he, he's obviously a guy that's really into soul music, really into Marvin Gaye, really influenced by, you know, sort of the 70s generation of auteur R&B artists, you know, including Curtis Mayfield and Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye and all those great artists. And you can hear that being poured into his records, being very sort of groove-oriented. And you still hear the guitar, but it's not the central part of it. It's not the same music that you hear on records like It Still Moves. You know, where you, you listen to that record and you can imagine Jim James playing the Flying V at Bonnaroo. And just letting it rip, you know, like that, that's what those records are, but he's kind of moved away from that over the last decade or so. But then you have this record, Uniform Distortion, and it's, the guitar comes back in a big way. I I tweeted recently about this record that I felt like half of it sounded like Mississippi Queen (laughs) by Mountain, and the other half reminds me of Powderfinger by Neil Young and Crazy Horse. And I hope I'm not overselling it, when I say that, I'm not saying that the songs are as great necessarily as Powderfinger or Mississippi Queen, but it reminds me of that. There's a spirit from those songs that I think is on this Jim James record. And it's a lot of fun. I really like the record. It's a good summertime record. This is a record you're going to want to put on at your barbecue and play air guitar on bottles of beer 
<laughs> I think it, it, that's the kind of record that this is going to be. So that comes out June 29th. And this interview, it's sort of a preview of that. You know, we talk about the record, but we also talk about Jim's state of mind. He went on a retreat recently that he talks about in this interview, a silent retreat. And we kind of backed away from society a little bit. And you can hear his frustrations uh, on the record about politics and social media and the way that we've all been sort of taken out of our sense of moral clarity in the world, that there's so much distraction right now that it can be difficult to act on our own sense of right and wrong. And I think Jim is a very, he feels very passionate about getting back to that. And as fun as this record is, I think there's also a real real sense of purpose in a lot of these songs, talking about that. So it was a really fun conversation. It was a great conversation. It's always great talking about Jim. We also talked about My Morning Jacket and what is up with them? They have albums in the can, apparently, that have not been put out. So <laughs> Jim talks about that as well. So if you're a My Morning Jacket fan, you're going to want to hang around for that. Uh, before we get to that, I want to tell you about this week's sponsor, and it is our friends at Blue Apron. Now, Blue Apron delivers farm-fresh ingredients and step-by-step recipes to your door. It's their mission to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone, and they achieve this by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. Now, Blue Apron has teamed up with best-selling cookbook author Chrissy Teigen to bring you some of her favorite recipes to make at home. Get ready for six weeks of wildly fun, flavorful cooking featuring recipes like garlic and soy glazed shrimp with charred broccoli and hot green pepper sauce and sesame chicken noodles with bok choy. Oh man, it's like these incredibly fancy sounding dishes and yet they're very easy to make because they give you all the ingredients and they tell you exactly now how to make it. Now to entice you further, I want you to check out this week's menu on their website at blueapron.com and you can get your first three meals for absolutely free if you go to blueapron.com backslash celebration. That's blueapron.com slash celebration. You're going to get your first three meals for free. That is a deal just for my listeners. So don't tell me that I never hooked you guys up. (laughs) So again, go to blueapron.com slash celebration and you can help your stomach, you can help the podcast, and you can help everyone you love with delicious food. That's very hard for me to say. Okay, so Jim James and I, we got into it. We talked about the new solo record, Uniform Distortion, which comes out June 29th. Uh, We talked about My Morning Jacket. We talked about the guitar. (laughs) We talked about Silent Retreats. It was a good conversation. I I had a really great time. I always love talking to Jim James. So without further ado, here is me and Jim James talking on the Celebration Rock podcast. Are you in L.A. now? Yeah. And you moved out there a couple years ago, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, about, yeah, two, two and a half years ago. And how's that been going? I mean, you know, because I know you lived in the South your whole life. I mean, has that been an easy transition, getting getting used to being out there? Yeah, it's been really great, because I still go back to Louisville quite a bit, so I kind of uh, divide my time between both places. And uh, I, it's just been like, I've spent a lot of time out in L.A., you know, over the years, working on records and different projects and stuff. So I feel like I've spent a lot of time here and have a lot of friends here and stuff. So I've really been enjoying it. Yeah, I I talked to Patterson Hood from Drive-By Truckers around the time that he moved from Georgia to Portland, Oregon, where he lives now. And, you know, Drive-By Truckers, they're very much associated with with the South and, and Southern Rock. And I think your music has a similar identity with people, certainly my morning jacket associate, you know, people associate that with Louisville. 
from your perspective, do you feel like being from the South was a big, it has been a big influence on your music, and do you feel like that has changed at all now that you've relocated? Well, I'm not really from the South. Kentucky is kind of in the middle. You know, it's it's, uh, it's funny. Kentucky's always confused for something that it's not. Right. It's always confused. It's always, you know, people, if you're from the South, they think it's the North, and if you're from the North, they think it's the South. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. It's one of those places. So I've really enjoyed uh, thinking of myself as, as being really from, from nowhere in particular because uh, I feel like, you know, Kentucky's just cool and that it really do- it doesn't fit anybody's bill. <laughs> and that's what I like to think of myself as, like, just I don't like to fit any bills uh, or any labels or anything like that. So Kentucky, I feel like it's a really, uh, you know, obviously it's my place of birth, so it means a lot to me, but I've always loved it for that reason as well. Just speaking more broadly, I mean, do you feel like, like where you're from or what your environment is at the time that you're you're making a record or, or writing songs, how much of an impact do you feel like that has on the creative process? Oh, I think it has a huge impact, you know, because I feel like that's what forms your identity, your uh, your experiences, your your sorrow, your joy, you know, all that stuff goes into what you make. And I feel like, you know, I feel like I believe in a uh, changeable destiny or something. I don't even know how to put it into words, but it's like I believe that things happen for a reason, but that you can change those things. So, you know, your your place of birth, for example, like none of us can change where we happen to you know, come out into this world or what we look like or, you know, any of that stuff, we, that just happens to us. And, and for the early part of our lives, that we're not really in control. Our parents are in control wherever they might move or not move. And But eventually as you grow older, you can kind of realize that you're in control and, and that you can change whatever you want to change or need to change. But uh, that thing we can't control you know, where we're born and, and, and what circumstances we're born into, I do think is really important, you know, because it's like, I feel like that's part of the uh, everything happens for a reason kind of way that I look at the world. You know, we were all born where we were born for some kind of reason, but it's not like that has to be the final say, you know, that we can also change our life into anything we want it to be. Right. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, I think it has a huge, huge impact. Yeah, you know, I was reading about you before getting ready to talk today, and I realized that you and I are very close in age. There's about six months difference in our ages, and I know that you recently turned 40, and I'm wondering yeah. if that was a big deal for you, what that process has been like. Because you know, for me, it wasn't that big of a deal. I, I felt fine in my life and where I was, but for some people, that can be a head trip. Like, How, how was that for you? Yeah, you know, it's been really uh, beautiful. I mean, it's been... I feel like I've enjoyed each decade more than the last. I really enjoyed my 30s more than my 20s. And uh, I just feel like, you know, there's something, I don't know, there's just something about the fact that you make it, you know, you made it (laughs) another day. Right. You know, all of us you know, not being morbid or anything, but we could get hit by a bus or, you know, whatever, killed in a number of ways. And it's like, you know, humans are so fragile and so strong all at the same time. So so I, I always consider every birthday 
the victory, you know, and obviously some birthdays are sadder than others or if you have certain, if you lose certain friends or, you know, there's like things that make certain birthdays tougher. Uh, I'd been having a real tough uh, 39th year and then a couple months before I turned 40, I kind of found some peace and found, made a few changes and stuff. So I, I had been feeling more peaceful kind of leading up to, to my actual birthday. And then I went on a silent retreat uh, that started on my 40th birthday. Uh, and that was really uh, a cool way to start this, this new chapter. See, I was talking to a friend of mine whose buddy went on a silent retreat. Like, like I think it was like four or five weeks. He went out in the woods and didn't speak, and he was you know, disconnected from the internet and the world and all that. And he said it was like a real sort of life changing thing. I mean, was that a similar thing for you? Were you just sort of out in the middle of nowhere for a while? Well, I went to this place called Spirit Rock uh, near San Francisco. It's like a meditation center. Uh, it was out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it was crazy. It was like uh, it simultaneously drove me absolutely crazy, but it but it made me uh, really value uh, just a, a normal day. I have a really hard time with normalcy. I feel like being on tour for twenty years kind of fucks your brain up in terms of just a normal Wednesday night. You know, like when you're like, all right, it's a normal Wednesday night. What am I gonna do? You know, like it's. I have a real hard time with that because normally I'm being rocketed through space, you know, somewhere or going from one gig to the next or whatever. But uh, this silent retreat really helped me value just uh, trying to enjoy just what I, whatever it is I enjoy about creating a uh, a more stable life, I guess. And like you, you don't talk at all during that time. No, no talking and no TV and no uh, internet and no books and. Uh, they really don't want you to have any escape from your mind, you know, or from your, well, not only your mind, but from your, your true essence, your true consciousness. You know, it's like you're trying to get to that that place where you can just enjoy being alive, like a like a tree or a deer, you know, like just, just being a living thing that isn't, isn't thinking and isn't checking their cell phone and isn't, you know, even a book, you know, isn't like trying to escape their thoughts or their feelings by going into a book or, you know, all the ways we do uh, try to uh, escape what's happening right now. And, and how long did that last? Was that a month or so? No, it was just, it was a week. It was a week. Days. And what did you feel like at the end of that process? Was it, did you feel like cleansed in a way? Did you feel like you had learned something about yourself from doing that? Yeah, I mean, I definitely felt felt cleansed. I mean, I, I had kind of stopped drinking a few months before that and had been trying to be super healthy and stuff. But I felt like I had kind of started to cleanse. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's real, you know, it's a real healthy way of life and the food's great and, uh, you know, it's vegetarian, real healthy food. And um, and I was washing dishes. Like, everybody has to do a, a, a work assignment, a work meditation, they call it, and... Uh, so I was washing dishes after, uh, actually before we ate, and uh, it just gave you a real gratitude. You know, it's just like you're sitting there, because I used to wash, I had so many jobs before I started uh, making a living by touring, you know, and it just took me back to that, to washing dishes, you know, at, at different jobs I'd done over the years, uh, and it just gave me such gratitude 
for the people that do that. You know, it's like there are all these people in the world that we take for granted, you know, and I feel like our our society is so fucked right now. Our, our system, I feel like capitalism and the patriarchy and just the way our society is set up has truly just just really fucked us over and, and made us heartless. You know, I feel like people aren't grateful for each other, you know, and, and it's all about this massive climb to the top. You know, how fast can you get to the top? How much money can you make? It doesn't matter who you fuck over. It doesn't matter how many millions and millions of people are, you know, working. You know, it, it's just like this thing where the, the gratitude's been lost. And it's like, I, I don't know, you know, it's like, ooh, I feel like we're all, there's a lot of us that are trying to change that and want to change that and want to see respect and equality for everybody. But, you know, it really, right now, it's going to take changing the people at the top, you know, to, to change the structure and, and treat people better. But, yeah, the whole the whole thing, it just really did uh, open my eyes and give me a sense of gratitude uh, for what I have and gratitude for the things that I take for granted, you know, like the there's somebody back there that's washing the dishes when you have a nice dinner somewhere. And there's, you know, there, there are people everywhere who are working hard trying to make a good life, a life for themselves, you know, and, and the whole thing with the immigration right now in our country is, is such a, such a shame, you know, that, that we can't open our arms to refugees and immigrants and, and give them a better chance at life. That's really breaking my heart right now. The kids being separated from their parents and, just people who are trying, you know, America, that's what America, you know, they're, we're all immigrants, you know, it's like our ancestors stole this land from the Native Americans, you know, it's like, right. it's the whole, the whole thing is fucked up, and it's like, we all need to realize that, it's like, we need to step up to the plate and realize that, like, you know, even if we're trying to be, quote-unquote, good people or whatever, we need to realize that we're there's a history there that, that's wrong, that's, that's damaged. You know, America, as we know, it started from a very damaged place. You know, and I think a way we can repair that damage is, is to go in the opposite direction that we're going and, and, and really open our arms to immigrants and open our arms to refugees and people that are looking for the American dream. Right. You know, that I really think it's possible for everybody. You know, there's so it's so huge. You know, I just went on a road trip uh out kind of out near San Francisco and uh went to this music festival and just we drove around a lot and we were driving and driving. I mean there is so much land. You know, there's so much land and there's so much work that needs to be done that I really feel like there it's just like it just keeps coming back to how do we get away from capitalism? How do we get back to human kindness? You know, how do we like give people a shot and see that it benefits us all? You know, it's like I just kind of kept thinking about all this stuff during this retreat. You know, and the retreat also, they kept saying at the retreat that the retreat was on sacred Native American land. You know, and I just kept thinking to myself, if this is sacred Native American land, why aren't the Native Americans here? <laughs> you know, it's just like, why? It's, it's just like, it's just kind of, I don't know, there's just some, there's a deep, deep, uh, fracture and a deep flaw in the way that America was started. And it's like, if we don't, you know, obviously our current administration is trying to completely go the other direction and, and deny that and even see it as a good thing. But it's like, that's, that's not the truth. 
And it's like, if we don't accept the truth, I think America's bound to fail. You know, it's like, if we don't accept the injustice that that is going on, America is bound to fail. But if we can wake up and, and admit the wrongs that we've done and accept the injustice that's going on, then I think America can be what, what it's meant to be. Well, I think what you just said, it touches on a lot of what's on this record, because you're talking about, you know, sort of getting back to a kind of moral clarity, this idea of that we know what's right and what's wrong, but there's this situation now where people's minds are so muddled and clouded with all these distractions in a way that it gets us away from maybe that moral clarity. I mean, cause, I mean, it's kind of there in the title of your record, Uniform Distortion. Like, I feel like a lot of the songs on this album are talking about you know, how we are in a way maybe disconnected from what the essentials of life are by technology or by the media or whatever it might be. Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. It's just like turn off your TV and open your heart. You know, it's like turn off your phone and open your heart. You know, so that's, that's the thing I think people are really missing out on. It's like if people really just open their heart, you can feel the truth. You know, it's like you can feel that. It's like if the most conservative person sat down to lunch with the most liberal person that they both think each other are so wrong and so far off the path, if they just sat down to lunch and talked about their families and talked about their jobs and talked about their worries, we would see all this disappear. You know, it's like it's all of the fucking, the TV and the social media there, it's it's just classic divide and conquer. It's like you just want to scream at people and just be like, "Wake up!" This is you know it's the, one of the oldest techniques in the book. It's like just divide and conquer the people, and then rule over the people. It's like, and that's what that's what's happening. You know, it's it's very textbook stuff. You know, it's, it's it's just like, come on, everybody, wake up! This doesn't have to happen. It's just like it's literally like everybody's asleep. It's the uh, you know everybody is just sleeping staring at their cell phones and their TVs. And it's like, if they could just go out into the streets and meet each other. Right. The, I really believe that. I really believe that's not some hippie dream. You know, that's, <laughs> that's reality. If you want to talk reality, it's like, turn off the talking heads and all the, you know, I mean, social media can be a great tool. I mean, I think that's a great tool to organize. It's a great tool to inform, you know, but obviously that's being abused. Uh, and and I, I don't I don't proclaim to have all the answers. I'm definitely no political expert, or you know, like I, I I'm far from uh, having everything figured out myself. But I just can't I can't stop thinking about this thing called reality. Everybody thinks they're living in this other reality, but their brains are being literally brainwashed by the TV and the social media. You know, it's, I don't care if you're on the left or the right. It's it's all the same. Right. People are so angry. You know, the effect our president has had on society of making everybody just so angry and so cruel. You know, even people I agree with on the left, you know, that, that just be, they just become so cruel. And it makes me really sad to see people uh, fall, you know, who I believe in when they turn cruel. It's like, it, it, that's like another thing. It's like the, the Darth Vader Star Wars effect. You know, it's like once you turn cruel you're only helping the dark side. You right. know, it's like if you if you can stay in the light and, yeah, make good criticisms about the administration and make uh, good criticisms about the policy and the decision, but don't go making fun of somebody's personal appearance 
or, you know, things they can't help. You know, it's like the, just these things we keep seeing. As soon as it turns mean, your your whole platform's right out the window, except right. somehow magically with the president. It's like somehow <laughs> his, it has not uh, seemed to stop his progress. But I think in the end it will. So like, uh, what, I feel like, I mean, like was all this stuff on your mind when you were making this record? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's like, it, I don't see how it couldn't be on anybody's mind right now. I mean, tell me about how this record was made. I mean, I you haven't really done a lot of press on it yet, so I I know very little about the background. I mean, how did this these songs come about? Well, I mean, I, I just wanted to make a record that was fun and that was quick and that was raw, and, and just was a group of friends playing music in a room. And uh, I mean, the songs meant a lot to me, and they all mean different things or whatever. But just at the heart of the record, it's like, you know, I feel like in line with what I was saying about social media and uh, TV, I feel like music, most music is made in computers now. uh, And and there's a lot of really great things about that and a lot of really miraculous things you can do with your music. But I feel like computers can also really hurt the music and really uh, make it too perfect a lot of the time. You can fix all your mistakes. You can tune things that are out of tune. You know, there's all this shit you can do. And I feel like as a result of that, you know, when we look back on on this era, like we so fondly look back on the 70s or the 50s or the 60s or whatever, we look back on this era, we're going to hear it, and we're going to be really fucking shocked at how terrible most of it sounds because we took all the humanity out of it. And uh, so I, I don't know, that's part of this record, was just trying to let it be flawed and let it be uh, fucked up and, and let it be dirty. Uh, you know, there's just something about... It's reality again. It's like we're escaping reality with the computer, and we think it's helping. And sometimes it helps. You know, it's, it's like I just keep thinking too. Of, I think I said somewhere. I'm trying not to repeat myself, but like just the thinking of social media or the computer like a hammer. You know, it's like if you use a, a hammer, if you use social media to post a tweet about some really great gathering or event that's coming up and then you put your phone down and turn it off, then that's great. You just used it in a really effective way. But if you stare at it all day long, it starts to destroy your world. It's like you don't pick up a hammer to hammer in a nail and then keep hammering away at the walls of your house or your house is going to fall down. <laughs> and I feel like that's what is, has happened to a lot of music because people get in the computer and they just keep fucking hammering away at their music trying to make it perfect or whatever. And at the end of the day, it just sucks all the life out of it. I think the other thing that's really prominent on this record, too, is guitar. And it was interesting to me because I feel like, especially in your solo records, it's not like you ever stopped playing guitar, but I feel like maybe you backed away from some of the guitar heroics of the early My Morning Jacket records. It seemed like you were making maybe more groove-oriented records, not trying to repeat yourself or something. Whereas this record... It's really bringing back the guitar in a big way. I mean, did you feel like that was sort of a conscious thing on your part? Well, it wasn't really conscious, but you just go through phases. You know, it's like you play guitar for 10 years every fucking day, and then you just get sick of it, and you don't ever want to see the guitar again. And then you don't play it for 10 years, and you you miss it, and it comes back. You know, I think it's just like the that cyclical nature of everything. Um I mean, guitar is my main instrument. It's the easiest instrument for me to convey emotion on uh, that I love exploring, and I love every kind of instrument imaginable. 
but the, the the guitar just kind of went with the theme of this record of I just wanted it to be uh, quick and down and dirty and and no rehearsals and no conversations about it. You know, I just wanted to. I'm lucky to play with uh, David Given, who plays drums on the record. I've known him since I was in fourth grade. He's played on all my solo stuff. And then Seth Kaufman, who plays bass, uh, has his own project called Floating Action. That's like, I just feel like his music is so fucking brilliant. And I'm so lucky to have him play with me. So it's like the three of us play, and we just instinctually... It's like I don't have to tell them... I don't have to sit around and explain the songs for hours. I was just like, okay, the song goes bang, 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 bang. Here we go. One, two, three, four, bang, bang. And we did it two or three times and that was it. You know, that was the extent of the recording session. Yeah. And, and then, uh, and you can definitely hear that on the that, record. I mean, it just sounds like people playing in a room live, basically. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. I mean, like, like when you were a kid and getting into music, I mean, were you someone who like put guitar players on your wall? Like, did you look up to guitar players? Is that something you wanted to be or aspire to be? Oh my God. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I definitely was so moved by the guitar. Um, you know, I mean, just like everybody, it's like the, the great Hendrix and Neil Young and, uh, you know, people that came up more as when I was a kid, like a Jay Mascus from dinosaur junior and, uh, Kurt Cobain and, you know, Prince, like, getting into Prince's guitar playing and, you know, just like Curtis Mayfield, you know, they just the great that you, it's just like they're soaring with their guitar. You know, they're just like, uh, I mean, my, my main passion is, is singing, but then when you play guitar, when you really get into the guitar, it's, it's like another form of singing. You know, I think most instrumentalists or soloists would agree with that concept kind of, you know, that you're just, you're, you're singing with your instrument, whatever it is. And it's like, uh, yeah, just the way it felt, uh, to really feel that so intensely for the first time, you know, as a young kid from somebody like Neil Young or whatever, just like, holy shit, like, (laughs) wow, that's, that's what's possible. Well, and, and to go along with the, you know, singing through an instrument idea, just the idea that, you can recognize someone's guitar tone immediately, even though they're playing the same instrument everyone else is playing, but just because of the way they play it or something in their fingers, they can, you can tell it's them immediately. And that's like true of all the great guitar players. Right. I mean, do you feel like you have that when you play? Do you, is there something you recognize in yourself when you play guitar that you feel like is distinctively your own? Yeah. I mean, I, I do, you know, cause it's like my, my voice, but I also kind of deliberately try to change change things as much as I can uh, for my own fun, so that that might prevent people from recognizing me. You know, what I mean, it's like I don't know. It's not like I have like just a, a sound that I always do where it comes on and you're like, oh shit, that's that's that sound. Uh, so that may be <laughs> good or bad. You know, I, I don't know, but that I don't. It's not like Django Reinhardt or something where it comes on. And you're like, holy shit, there he is. You know, it's like, it's like, uh, it's, uh, I don't know. I try to do as many different tones and, and styles as I can. Yeah. I mean, and it, it does seem like too, that at, at a certain point, I mean, is it fair to say that you were maybe wary of going too far into that sort of guitar God, rock God type thing? Cause it, it did seem like at some point in, 
and I think this is just part of you wanting to always have new sounds and, and, and evolve and not repeat yourself. But I mean, it did seem like there was maybe a deliberate thing on your part where I, I don't want to go too far into this, the total rock thing. There's other things I'm interested in as well. I mean, is it fair to say that that was true for you? I mean, I guess maybe subconsciously. It's like, I, I just love music so much. I, I love all the different kinds of music. So it's like, I just never was that uh, only dedicated to guitar rock that that's all I thought about, you know? So I guess my music has shifted with, with whatever I've been into at the time. So I think it's just like when we started out or when I first started making records, that was just what I was so heavily into, uh, you know, whatever, whether it was Neil Young or the Rolling Stones or the band or whatever it was, I was just into that. And that's kind of what was flowing through me. And, uh, inspiration wise but as the years go on you know you you learn different music and you learn you get obsessed with different different things so you just get inspired in different ways i mean was there anything in particular that you felt like inspired you for this record you know music that that you were listening to at the time you know it's kind of just like my my love for lost forgotten music that has been found again by labels like Light in the Attic and Numero Group uh, and Dust to Digital. There are all these great labels now that find all this lost music that uh, that quote unquote failed when it was released. You know <laughs> right. that uh, somebody thought, you know, it was just sitting in their basement and they thought nobody would ever hear it. And then these labels hear it and resurrect it, and it's like. Uh, I just kind of wanted to make a record that sounded like it was lost, like it and had just been found, but not in any kind of deliberate retro way. I just wanted it to sound really fucking just dirty and, and terrible and, uh, you know, just like really human, you know, just like, like we had made it. Right. Uh, 200 years ago or something, I forgot about it. And, and <laughs> now it's like 4,000 years in the future or something. I'm kind of obsessed with this concept of like something that's like, not like steampunk, but just like the uh, something that's so so old, but it's also so new and futuristic, you know. Right. It has that element to it, and then it also has what we were talking about before, which is a very sort of of the moment, very 2018 vibe to it in terms of what you're talking about in the songs. And I'm wondering, like, because I wouldn't call this a political record necessarily. It's obviously inspired by what's been going on in the world, but I think you can. It's not a pedantic record. It's not explicitly laying anything out in terms of like a political rhetoric or something. Uh, but as a songwriter, how is that? How do you balance that? You know, desire to express yourself and how you see the world, but also, you know, not bashing people over the head with that kind of message. Yeah, that's a really good question. That's something that I feel like comes up a lot because I feel like as an artist, you can only write what you can write about, right? So right. it's like you can't force you can't force yourself to write a political song or you can't force yourself to write uh, a love song if you're feeling super depressed or if you're feeling super in love, it's like you can't force yourself to write a breakup song or whatever. So it's like, I like to think of, of art in that way. It's like you, you got to do what comes out naturally and let let the art speak to you and create what you want to create. But then I feel like just I feel so strongly that all of us have a responsibility right now. You know, every person, not not all of us artists, but all of us people, 
have a responsibility to speak out right now and, and to vote and to show up because there are people that are, are in serious danger and serious trouble, you know, and, and we're seeing all these, these problems and it's just a classic Martin Luther King Jr. quote that if you, if you remain silent, you're part of the problem, you know, and it's just like, I feel like that's a really big deal to me, but I feel like there's a way that you can speak out and be kind about it, you know, and, and not, not insult, uh, somebody's physical appearance or not call somebody an asshole or not, you know, just, just speak out and encourage people to vote and, and retweet, uh, marches or rallies that you believe in. And, you know, just, just do things. I feel like that's all of our responsibility to show up, you know, cause if, if we don't show up, I, it's just really scary to think of the future. If, if we don't, if we don't show up, right. You know, it's, it's going to be, it's like people are so asleep, they're going to wake up, whether it's 20 years from now or 30 years from now, and I, I don't want it to be like Nazi Germany, you know, but I feel like that's the direction we're headed in this terrible fascist direction. And it's like, if we don't wake up and take the power back to the people, it's, it's going to be a fucking nightmare, and I don't want to see that. So I feel like it really disappoints me when I see artists that don't, speak out or when I see people that don't vote or when I see just events that more people could have uh, attended or, or, you know, why aren't more of us fucking outraged that, that children are being ripped from their parents right now, you know, innocent people that have done nothing wrong, that are trying to come to America for safety or, or whatever, you know, it's just like, it's, it's, why aren't more of us outraged right. about this? Well, in your you know, point, watching more TV. Well, in your point about kindness too, I think is is a good one. I think that's so hard to not just get pulled into the darkness. You know, even if you do have a righteous cause, you know, to not want to lash out at people that you think are being very destructive and to belittle, you know, the opposition. Even though, like as you say, I think once you start doing that, it it just all falls apart. <laughs> and you're, it does. It defeats your purpose. It's like, and of course, we all get angry, and of course, we all say things we don't mean, and we all make mistakes, and you know that that's a given. But it's like it just it it, it does no good to offer more anger. You know, it's like you, you think about the president, or you think about whatever. You know, and it's just like pray for for him to find some kind of peace. You know, right. pray for him to find some kind of real love in his life or for him to have some experience that wakes him up and could maybe help us all. Can you imagine if he woke up tomorrow and was like, geez, I'm so sorry, people. I'm so <laughs> sorry. Let's let's start getting down to fixing this stuff. You know, it's like, that would be amazing. But if you keep hurling insults at him and, and, and uh, you know, it's just it only fuels the fire of hatred for everybody. Right. I had to ask you about this. I know I interviewed you in, in 2015 around the time that the waterfall came out, and you had mentioned at that time that there was like another My Morning Jacket record or another, like a, an album's worth of material that was still up there. And I know I think you said, I read something maybe in 2017 that the band was maybe recording last year. What is the status of that? Have you been working with the band? Do you expect an album from them anytime soon? Well, we've got a whole a whole second record of stuff that we did when we did the waterfall that will come out at some point and we've got a whole live record that we've we've finished that'll come out at some point um so there's there's that stuff it's crazy that it's going to be the 20th anniversary of the uh 
our first record, the Tennessee Fire, uh, next year. Yeah. So we're trying to put together some kind of uh, find find stuff from around that time that hasn't been released and release that for the 20th anniversary. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on that um, it's just been so crazy. It's just like I need to finish it. <laughs> I mean, like, like, <laughs> like how, just get it. I mean, how does that? I mean, because you know. Like this record, like, how does this end up being a Jim James record and not a My Morning Jacket record? Like, what is the separation there? Is it just a matter of, like, well, I wanted to make a record with these friends of mine and it just made more sense there? Or how yeah, does that work? Just, things kind of have different uh, voices and some things are interchangeable. You know, like, some songs are interchangeable or some things. Like, like a lot of these songs, as songs or whatever, could, could easily be My Morning Jacket songs or whatever. But there's a certain process that we have uh, when we make a record as My Morning Jacket where it's like it just takes a little more time and, and everybody has their own way of finding their sounds or finding what, you know, their way into the song or whatever. And that's just a different process that I just didn't, want with this record like i wanted to go just super fast yeah. and super super messy you know and just like do it in days you know and that and that's something that we just don't work that way uh in in the jacket you know whether it's whether we're trying to do a more live sounding record or crazier uh you know more sculpted uh architecture style record it's just it's just a, a longer process because everybody's kind of just sorting through sounds and figuring out things and, uh, you know, which is fine. It's like, I don't see either process as better or worse, but I feel like different records call for different things. And, uh, I just didn't, the sound of this record, I didn't want to spend any time on it. Right. You know, it's like, cause I, I felt like if I spent too much time on it, it wouldn't be the record that I wanted it to be. Right. And I can imagine if this were a money, my morning jacket record, it would just sound probably grander just by virtue of playing in that band. It sounds bigger and bold, you know, and, and this record is definitely like we're in a garage. It's scuzzy. It's quick, and it has that energy to it. Uh, so that, that that definitely makes sense. Yeah, I, I, just so I'm clear, like, do those like that, that material that you have is that already recorded, or is it, does that need to be recorded? Like, do you have stuff in the can already that just needs to be put together, or do you have to actually get into a studio and 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 like record songs? Yeah, no. I mean, we've got a whole jacket record that's uh, that we did when we did the waterfall that's ready, it still needs to be mixed, but it's like recorded. And then we've got a live record that's recorded and has been mixed. Uh, so yeah, the stuff is like done, it's, you know, and it also needs to, I need to figure out artwork for it and okay. all that stuff as well. But Okay. So you mentioned like the 20th anniversary of the band coming up, and I was going to ask you about that. You know, some bands, you know, they celebrate their anniversaries and it's a big deal. Other bands don't really seem to care either way. I mean, you you mentioned it. I get the feeling that that is, you know, an important milestone for you. I mean, talk about that. I mean, is that something that you kind of look at uh, with pride or does it have significance that you've, you know, that you're going to pass that milestone next year? It does. It's crazy. It's like... Uh... Yeah, it's wild. I mean, it's just like I said about turning 40 or whatever. It's like, you made it. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's crazy that it's been that long, you know, that, that it, we're actually, it's like we've we've made it that long. You know, it's just like, it's a miracle. <laughs> yeah. It's just crazy. You know, obviously people have made it a lot longer, but uh, lots of people make it a lot shorter. You know, lots of people don't ever make it off the ground at all, you know, even out of their fucking bedroom. So it's like, <laughs> just like, 
the uh, yeah, it's just like I'm just like can't believe it's been it'll be 20 years since the first record came out. And it's just like crazy because I think of like you know my heroes from you know the the greatest longest lasting of them all like the Rolling Stones to the to like you know newer heroes but like the Flaming Lips have been around for like 35 years or something crazy like that and you're just like wow you know it's just like that's insane you know so to, to reach the 20 mark is just like it's so cool it's like it's just like such a yeah I can't believe it I mean, now that you're on the inside of it and not just an observer with favorite bands that have been around for a long time, do you have any special insight on, like, how a band survives for that long? God, I mean, really, the only thing I could say is just communicate. You know, anytime that we've had trouble, it's because we didn't communicate or because I wasn't a good communicator. You know, I think people, I think we all sometimes make the mistake of thinking that everybody understands how we feel, you know, or we'll, or we'll convey a certain thing, but we're not direct about it. Yeah. Um, and then things get confused and you think somebody knows what you were saying, but you weren't actually completely direct about it. Right. And I think that's, that's my biggest mistake that I, I know I'm guilty of a lot that I'm trying to get better at, but you know, we all have our patterns and sometimes, you know, you just get in your pattern and you, for, you forget, you know, or you just make, make a mistake. And I, and I think that's, that is maybe the biggest advice I could give to anybody is just be, be cool, clear, be crystal fucking clear, you know, and, and also try to admit when you've made a mistake and when it's your fault that things are going wrong. <laughs> you know? yeah, I like that because that advice also applies to marriage or any kind of romantic relationship uh, as well. <laughs> well, any partnership, right? I mean, any, any, any marriage or friendship or anything, you know, it's like we all, we all fuck up, you know, and it's like, I think there's, uh, there's a, sh- you know, shame around fucking up or obviously, you know, nobody wants to fuck up. But it's like, I think trying to just admit that you were wrong or admit that you didn't communicate well or whatever. And that kind of makes everybody feel good, you know, and it's like, and it makes you feel good too. And you're like, all right, I fucked that one up. Let's, let's move on to the next one. And, and, you know, I hope you can forgive me and I hope we can do better next time. You right. know? And and I'll try to not give you some bizarre metaphor of how I'm feeling. I'll try to say, <laughs> actually, like, I feel very sad because of X, Y, and Z, or whatever, you know. Like, right. Just be comically uh, clear, I think, sometimes <laughs> is what people need. Well, Jim, I know you got to run, so I just want to say I really like the new record a lot, and good luck with Thanks. it. And I hope you put out that My Morning Jacket stuff soon. I know a lot of people would want to hear that, so I uh, hope that gets done sooner rather than later. So, uh, Jim. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, man. Take care. All right, thanks. Okay, so that was me and Jim. Had a really great time talking with him. Uh, you know, I hope I get to talk to him every album cycle. It's nice to check in with Jim James to get inside his mind. Last time I talked to him in 2015, he seemed a little sad, but I think he's in a good place right now. He seemed excited. And hopefully he'll get those My Morning Jacket records out. He's got a studio record and a live record. Get going with that, James. James James. Can I call you James James? Jim James? Um, Guys, thanks again for listening to this episode of Celebration Rock. As always, got to give a shout-out to the man who makes it happen, Derek Madden. Thank you, Derek. Got to give a shout-out to Derek Copperman for writing our theme song. Thank you. Wait, did I say Derek Copperman? He did. Yeah. What's his name? Josh. (laughs) Josh Copperman. Josh, I'm sorry. Everyone I love, I call him Derek. That's that's my pet name for people I love, and I help out the show. Um, And thank you all, all you Dereks out there who listen to the show and support the show and leave us reviews. Uh, I really appreciate it. 
you're the reason why we do this show. If you weren't here, it'd just be me and Derek in a studio all by ourselves with no one paying attention, and that'd be very sad. So thank you for supporting the podcast. Thanks for checking us out every week. And uh, we will be back again next week with more Celebration Rock. Talk to you then. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.